When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The White House is denying a new report that President Trump had an extramarital affair before he launched his political career. Uh, the White House has said that this was an allegation which was talked about prior to the election that was shot down. She acknowledges that this is a different kind of case, but it has the commonality of powerful men using elaborate systems to silence women. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who would have rushed the Parkland, Florida school shooter if he'd been there, even if he were unarmed, for sure, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So that's Trump's fantasy about being a hero. But what I want to talk about today is his daughter Ivanka's fantasy about him not being a sexual harasser or an abuser of women. I believe my father. I know my father, she told NBC News. But it was what Ivanka said right after that that I found so interesting. I think I have that right as a daughter to believe my father. That right to believe Donald Trump in the face of overwhelming evidence that he's lying isn't just claimed by Ivanka or other members of his family, though apparently not by his wife, Melania. It's the right being asserted every day by millions of his supporters, by the majority in both houses of Congress, by Fox News. The right to believe Donald Trump in defiance of the facts, is the new Republican version of the First Amendment. In a moment, I'll speak to The New Yorker's Ronan Farrow about the Trump method for covering up affairs. But first, news today that Jared Kushner's security clearance has been downgraded. It might have had something to do with this interview last week. Okay, Jared Kushner, thanks for coming in. Ah, thanks for having me. Is this about the uh, security clearance? It is, yeah. So General Kelly wanted us to uh, just settle this once and for all. So. Great. I feel so good about that. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm glad you feel good. Uh, so we sent you the form, got your answers, just have some follow-ups. Okay. Okay, let's dive right in. So we had you list any and all contacts you had with Russian entities while working for the Trump campaign. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually what you wrote. You just wrote the word yup. Yep. Yeah, happy to do that. Glad you're happy to do it. We actually need you to do it. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, so um, so let me just... Okay. Sounds like you're just sort of mumbling to yourself. We actually need you to write down all of the contacts you had on the form here. Okay. I'll, and just all of them? Yeah. Just a comprehensive list. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Let me just... I'll just write... Let me just... I'll just write this. That. Okay. That, you're just drawing a picture of a dog. Yeah. Yeah, just a little dog there. It's a cute dog. It is a cute dog, but uh, not quite what we asked. Why, why don't we go ahead and move on to the other question? We'll come back to this, okay? Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, great. So we asked you to detail any foreign investments that you're connected with that might be inappropriate or could influence U.S. policy. Roger that. And again, that is uh, precisely what you wrote. You just wrote, Roger that. Yeah. I mean, I get the message. That's clear. So, Are we done? We're not quite done. Uh, yeah, just a little more. 
if the message is clear, maybe, maybe the message wasn't clear. So we actually need you to uh, write those out on the form. Okay, and I'm saying, Roger that. I, why is this so hard? I need to get security clearance. I work with the president every day. That's a great point. Um, and we're trying to. I'm make- looking at documents that, like, technically, I shouldn't be looking at. So we need to. We need to like solve this. Okay. Yeah. We. Uh, you know what? We we've never been more on the same page. Roger that. Roger that. Okay. So go ahead and just uh, just just take this form and and write those down. Or you know what? Why don't you dictate them to me? Just dictate them out loud and um and and I'll write them down. Okay. Let me just kind of collect my thoughts on this here. Okay. I think that the Israeli leadership and the Palestinian leadership need to sit down together and look at the region and find some... Okay, um, uh, Jared? Yep. Mind if I cut you off here? Y- yeah. Sounds like you're just talking about the Middle East. Oh, is it? And this is not about that? No, it's not about that. Oh, thank God. That is so. That is such a hard problem. Do you know how to solve that? <sighs> no, I, no, I don't. That sketch, No Clearance, was performed here in the studio by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Joining me on the line is Ronan Farrow of The New Yorker. Ronan Farrow, as most of you know, did the amazing story about Harvey Weinstein's sexual abuse and sexual harassment, which, in counterpart with The New York Times pieces, had an incredible effect on on, on everything we're living with this year. It started a movement. But since then, Ronan has written one other piece that's directly relevant to what we talk about on this show, and it's about Donald Trump's relationship with a former Playboy model called Karen McDougal and the effort to buy her silence and her breaking the silence, which she did speaking to Ronan for The New Yorker last week. So with that long-winded introduction, Ronan, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Ronan, what was Karen McDougal's story with Donald Trump? Karen McDougal was a former Playboy Playmate of the Year who met Donald Trump during a taping of an episode of The Apprentice uh, at the Playboy Mansion. And according to her account of events, says that she then struck up a month-long affair with him. We obviously were able to uh, corroborate that very, very heavily. But more than her account of the underlying affair, which has much in common with many other accounts of Donald Trump's behavior with women that we've now seen, she also exposes the system that was used to purchase this story and bind her to silence during the election, a crucial window where this might have had an impact if she had been able to speak. How did you end up speaking to Karen McDougal? I mean, it was reported at the end of the campaign by the Wall Street Journal that there had been this deal with the American media, David Pecker, the National Enquirer, where they essentially paid for her silence. But then she went dark and I didn't think we'd ever hear from her again. Yeah. You know, I think the important thing about this story is the system it reveals that um, American Media, this company that owns the National Enquirer and that is behind this deal with Karen McDougal um, to keep her quiet, was able to 
basically wiped this from the record ahead of the election. And, you know, they have pointed out uh, in their responses to us, uh, some of which are included in, in the story, that this was an agreement that subsequently was amended to allow her to respond to legitimate press inquiries. Now, she and her representatives are still afraid of legal retaliation, but it's also worth noting that that amendment came after the election. So for a crucial window, you know, this story really was successfully removed from the equation. And I think, you know, as to why she finally decided to break her silence, she did so in a very careful and limited way. She had no axe to grind. She's a Republican. The underlying chronicle of the affair is drawn from uh, a set of written notes that were put together by her and a a friend of hers um, in the course of selling the story ahead of the election. And she spoke on the record to me, you know, predominantly about the what she considered exploitative business arrangement that was keeping her silence and that felt increasingly onerous as time went on. And this became the president of the United States. And did she know that that was what was being bought? Did she think the National Enquirer was going to publish her story or did she really understand that they were paying to not use it? One of the complicated parts of this story is Karen McDougal did know by the time that final transaction happened and she signed away her right to speak that this is what she was doing. The contract made it clear. I don't think she was under any illusions that American media and the National Enquirer were going to run her story. She knew that this was a plan to bury it. And can American media or Donald Trump's lawyer or anyone come and try to claw back this money they paid her for her silence without having it be public? Is there some private way that they that she could lose what she was paid as a result of talking to you? That's a a smart way to frame the question. A lot of these non-disclosure agreements with powerful people who utilize some of these systems to silence opposition uh, include arbitration clauses that allow them to do just that. And that is the case with Karen McDougal's arrangement with American media. Um, they, they could theoretically um, drag her into a secret arbitration process and try to enforce penalties for breaching this, uh, you know, without us necessarily knowing. And we might never know. But then again, if she was hit with those penalties, would she at that point, can they can they come after you for more than they paid you? I mean, once you once you lose what you were paid, are you then free to speak? Yeah, in in this case, there is a liquidated damages clause that theoretically um, could see her suffering a lot more than the initial amount she was paid. As you say, I think that the the key point, well, there are a number of larger points here. I think there's a point about Donald Trump's propensity to be blackmailed and pay blackmail, which we can get into in a moment. But as you say, there's this sort of system, there are these people, and you know, I was walking around for a long time with the other piece of this puzzle about Stormy Daniels. Uh, where there was an agreement for her silence that involved a lot of the same characters, this lawyer, Keith Davidson, this agent, Gina Rodriguez, Michael Cohen on the Trump side, a formal agreement that seemed that had been with a version of things that had been worked out before. There were differences. I don't think the National Enquirer was involved in the Stormy Daniels case. But in other respects, there seemed to be a highly developed system for buying the silence of people who'd had affairs with Donald Trump, to put it plainly. I I think that's absolutely a fair assessment. There are recurrent characters. There are parallel fact patterns between these stories. And many of the same tools and tactics were employed. And you're exactly right that Keith Davidson, this lawyer who sort of built up a reputation for selling 
elicit stories that people wanted to uh, keep quiet um, has been involved in, in, as you point out, both the Stormy Daniels case and this one. And, you know, according to the sources we spoke to, had a close and ongoing relationship with American media. I want to be careful, given that there are lots of lawyers and, and litigious people involved. But when you say paying people for their silence, I mean, really what we're talking about is a system of blackmail, right? Or alleged blackmail, if we want to be careful. But you're they're going to... We don't use the term blackmail in this story. But I'll use the language that the sources we spoke to, which was a wide group of former American media employees who were involved in some of these transactions used. Those terms include leverage, influence. And they talked about how, not just with respect to Donald Trump, but in general, when a tabloid media company purchases a story to bury it, it affords a company like American Media an opportunity to influence that person's behavior. Now, when you're talking about a celebrity, you know, they talked, for instance, about cases in which they did this on behalf of Arnold Schwarzenegger. That can be as simple as just securing exclusives and covers up for their magazines. But obviously, when this is about the president of the United States, there is a concern about the kind of influence these companies hold. I mean, when you say leverage, you raise something that I hadn't thought of at the time the David Pecker story originally surfaced, which was that it was giving Pecker leverage over Trump, not just leverage over people who would accuse Trump to pr- protect Trump. I mean, you, that seems sort of incredible. I mean, is that, isn't that a power that you can't ever actually use? That was certainly the supposition of a lot of the American media employees we spoke to, that they were concerned about the national security implications of you know, a private company known for using these tactics, having this kind of power over a sitting president of the United States, knowing where the bodies are buried, was the way one put it. They've sort of got this this story and maybe others in the vault about all kinds of people. I mean, it's sort of privatized version of, of J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, right? You have these files which give you, anytime anybody's talking to you and you want something from them, you're thinking in the back of their head, your head, what do they have, what do they have on me? And this is a routine part of this particular corner of the tabloid media industry. You know, people talked about it being something that was more and more commonplace in the recent lifespan of the National Enquirer. But there are a number of companies that employ this tactic. And, you know, I think one reason that Karen McDougal felt it was important to speak at this point was obviously this is newsworthy when the president of the United States is involved and certainly at the very least benefiting from some of these tactics. But also, you know, that this in and of itself was a system worth exposing and one that was weighing heavily on her. So let's talk a little bit about what actually happened to Karen McDougal and what was going on with Trump in this scenario. So there was this golf tournament in July 2006 in Lake Tahoe. And at this tournament, when Trump allegedly hooked up with Karen McDougal, he also, according to my reporting, hooked up with. Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy, Stormy Daniels. According to other stories, he also uh, hooked up or attempted to hook up with Jessica Drake, another porn star, and and allegedly mm-hmm. offered her $10,000. There was another porn star, or maybe she's just a porn actress. They can't all be stars, right? Alana Evans, who said that, that Trump was also interested in her. What the hell was going on at this golf tournament <laughs> three, three months after his son was born, a year and a half after he'd been newly married to uh, Melania Trump? I mean, this sounds like... 
risky business. This sounds like a like a seventeen year old on some kind of spree. This is a guy in his sixties with a new baby at home. Uh, there was certainly, uh, by all accounts, a lot of activity happening at that particular <laughs> tournament. That seems to be right. Was there any golf being played as well? I mean, one would wonder where the time was for golf. But, <laughs> you know, you raise actually an important point. I think, which is between all of these stories, there are shared pieces of the fact pattern, and they all corroborate one another. So, for instance, just to use the example you raised in Stephanie Clifford. Stormy Daniels case, uh, Jessica Drake's case, and in the story of Karen McDougal, they all talk about being offered money for sex, in some cases being offered property um, in the course of their relationships with now President Trump. Uh, That's just one of a handful of uncanny similarities. And, And bear in mind, these are drawn from testimonials that were made independent of each other, and in many cases before the other stories arose publicly. So there's no coordination here. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the White House has said very clearly, you know, the president said this has never happened. He's denied a whole lot of this. The way in which these stories reinforce one another would suggest otherwise. Can you make sense out of this for me psychologically, Ronan? Because I've been I've been thinking about this myself. I mean, this golf tournament was one maybe really extreme example. But I come back to this point. This guy in his 60s, who, by the way, you know, we thought of as a germaphobe who certainly liked to be seen with beautiful women, but I I would not have taken him for a guy who was a, embarked on a crazed fuckathon, like chasing every woman in sight, offering every woman money. I mean, I, I kind of can't make sense of that character as Donald, the Donald Trump we thought we understood. I, as a reporter, have not been particularly interested in sort of psychologically profiling what this propensity towards infidelity means. Because <laughs> nobody wants to go there. I'm the only right, one who right. wants to go there. <laughs> well, uh, well, and also, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would have necessarily run a story that was just about an individual affair, but the, the system for concealing the affairs is, I think, newsworthy. And because in this case, there is a spectrum, as we know, of allegations of non-consensual activity and also descriptions of consensual affairs. And in many cases, there are critical shared facts between those. I actually do think it's important for us to have knowledge of the, all of these fact patterns. Yeah. They reinforce one another. You know, in, in Karen McDougal's case, she's describing a consensual affair. In other cases where women describe very similar tactics and, and very similar patterns of behavior, there are allegations that this is not consensual. So it's important, I think, for all of us to know about this. This is the president. As as the person or one of the people who finally brought down Harvey Weinstein after after years, decades of abuse of women, what do you think it will take or would take to bring down Donald Trump? Is it the quantity of stories like this or do we need a different kind of story that would finally make people who are supporting him, women who are supporting him, say, that's that's the bridge too far. That's the place I cannot defend him anymore. It's sincerely, and people find this hard to believe, but I, I am speaking honestly here, not my objective to bring down the president or anyone else. It wasn't even my objective to bring down Harvey Weinstein. It was my objective to shine a light on these stories, and to the extent that they were credible, which they absolutely were in the cases of the ones that I published, 
make sure that those came to light for the first time. This is your beat now, right? I mean, you're, you, are, you are pursuing further stories about Donald Trump. You know, I'll, I'll tell everyone to sign up for a New Yorker subscription and see when it comes out. You're getting very, you're getting very Bob Woodward on me, but I, I understand <laughs> nobody wants to disclose the report. But, I, I would say this, you know, I, I, if you look at work I've done over the years, certainly I, I'm interested in and, and view it as important to expose the systems that allow the most powerful people in our country to sometimes abuse power and certainly wield power to silence more vulnerable people. Do you see Karen McDougal as a victim here? I mean, what she describes was a consensual affair with Donald Trump. I mean, she wrote in her notes, you know, we got naked and had sex. It was certainly voluntary. What, in what way is she a victim or when did she become a victim in your view? I certainly don't assert that she's a victim and I, and I don't think she asserts that she is a victim herself. You know, she readily admits this was a consensual affair. She readily admits that you know she's an adult and she signed uh, away her right to speak about this. But I think she has done us all a public service in taking considerable legal risk to speak honestly about an arrangement that she ultimately considered to be exploitative. And as she framed it, to potentially warn other women against those vows of silence. You know, she said that having seen so many women come forward as part of the Me Too movement, even though her case was something distinct from that, it was consensual, she did feel emboldened to speak about these systems of silence that are in place and the perils of them. Um, I, I'm sure you saw the interview with Ivanka Trump from the Olympics in, in South Korea when she said the, 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 on the Today Show, they asked her about, about, not this specifically, but about the allegations about her father generally. She, she said she believed him. She took umbrage at the question. She, she said that's, you know, an inappropriate question. But then she said, I have a right to believe my father. I thought that was a kind of fascinating way to frame it and one that probably resonates with, with a certain people. I mean, certainly people who are, you know, in situations where the truth is so painful that you might just make a choice to believe something that you don't really believe or shouldn't believe. Did you did you have any kind of reaction to that? Ivanka Trump is a sophisticated actor and an adult and a public figure. Obviously, I know a thing or two about being asked personal questions about the misdeeds of one's parents. And my take on that has always been it is important for journalists to not blame by proxy when they ask those questions. Uh, And, you know, as the case may be, to to do so sensitively. Uh, But that doesn't mean it's inappropriate to ask them. And in fact, when it comes to the behavior of a sitting president and you're asking a public figure who works in that White House, I think it's not only fair, but important to ask those questions. I mean, as you say, as someone who's who's dealt with this personally and you've you know, you've had a coming to terms with this in in your life, in your family, what would you advise an Ivanka Trump in this situation? I mean, what what should she do? She knows this is all true, right? I mean, she read your story or she knows what's in it. She knows what her father's been up to. She knows in the time she's let it out when she reacted to the Access Hollywood tape or there have been other moments when she's given us little hints that she actually knows the truth about him. What should she do? Well, it's not for me to give Ivanka Trump advice. Certainly, I'd say if she is mulling doing something or saying something about this matter, I would you know, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to talk and I'd always be, be fair. And uh, it, it, look, it's a difficult issue for, for anyone to navigate uh, both working in that White House and being a part of that family. I have 
considerable compassion for everyone adjacent to that. But I do think the questions are fair. And as a, a frame of reference for this, I just, for my upcoming book, where I do some investigating into a mass grave of an Afghan warlord, I did a detailed interview with that warlord's son about it. And I did so with a lot of sensitivity to the fact that he wasn't behind those alleged murders. But I also thought it was important to understand his take on it. And people do come to terms with profoundly wrong things that their parents do. I mean, you can't, in a way, grow up unless you do that. They do. And when it comes to issues of national significance that can change the conversation for the better, you're obligated to come to terms in that way. Well, I hope Ivanka drops a dime on her dad, and I hope when she does, she calls you. <laughs> I, could, I can always guarantee uh, a fair and discreet ear for anyone wanting to talk about this administration or these important issues we're talking about. I've been speaking to Ronan Farrow. His forthcoming book is War on Peace, The End of Diplomacy and the Decline of American Influence. It's coming out in April, and it's available for pre-order. Ronan, thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, really appreciate it. Take care. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. And hey, if you liked our sketch, No Clearance by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman, please share it. We're going to put up a file on Twitter you can pass around. And while you're at it, you can follow us at Real Trumpcast. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.